0: The votes are in, and we've made it. We're now honorary members of the new X Men team,
1: and we're talking to the man who can make it happen. Welcome to the x Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia, and I'm Justin,
2: and I'm Jerry Duggan. <laughs> Obviously, that was a
0: joke. We're not, we're not really X Men. Sure, sure, it would be a lifelong dream, but uh, you know, just don't, don't get know.
1: your hopes up, y'all. You're not going to see us in comics anytime soon.
0: Yeah. Jerry if welcome wanna... to the show happy to have you glad you could come on to the show and talk to us
2: thank you yeah I appreciate it thanks for having me on and if you want to sign all of your life rights away and likenesses I'm sure Marvel would consider making you mutants
0: uh I mean I mean I'm, you I'm can have sure... my soul if
1: you'd like I'm it. pretty sure we've tried
0: uh, yeah. call in Mephisto we'll sign it on the dotted <laughs> line
2: very good <laughs> <laughs>
0: So uh, we've got a handful of questions for you. But before we get started, I just want to tell you, the, the podcast's mission has been to slowly pull Alicia deeper and deeper into X-Men mythos. She had never read a comic before uh, and has now turned into a full-fledged X-Fan. And a lot of that, I have to say, is thanks to you, sir, and your work on Marauders. That was a, a key contributor to her obsession, especially with Kate and Emma.
1: Yes. Oh,
2: very cool.
1: Yeah. So many of my favorite moments throughout the Kirk era have been in books that you have written. And I am so thrilled to be able to talk to you about those things today. Um, we really, really appreciate you being here. And I am a huge fan of Kate and Emma and I just need you to know that it's, it's, it's you who sparked my uh, well, obsession. Yeah, I,
2: <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. It's very kind of you, you know, the, the, Truth is, I didn't know that um, I would ever get another crack at any mutants after Uncanny Avengers um, years ago. That was my first um, tour of duty with with Pepe. And then hearing Jonathan's story at the editorial retreat when I was wrapping off of Guardians of the Galaxy, I was like, oh, you know what? I was wrong. This isn't just a Jonathan story. They're going to be looking for other things. And I think I I on the way back from that editorial retreat and saying what if a bunch to Jonathan and to Jordan and to CB, I started working on a document called um X-Men Buccaneers was like the code name for it. I didn't have Marauders yet. Love it. And uh it was just a bunch of the ideas of, you know, for giving gifts to the characters and to, to fans, you know, what did Kitty Pride always want to be and you know we obviously those of us uh, that that read the the old the old stuff knew that she had a thing for pirates and Mm -hmm. so um, you know it's a weird idea it feels like it shouldn't work and um, you know it was it it was a little bit of lightning in a bottle I think you probably loved it for the Russell and for the 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 Mateo and for Stefano and all those wonderful, um, artists, you know, there was at one point we got into a jam and I grabbed Lucas off of Instagram and that was his return to Marvel on that book. Um, so, you know, right place, right time, um, to be able to, to have some fun with the, um, Hellfire Trading Corporation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were lucky enough to also interview Mateo and, um, if you can see behind me, there's a, a page from the book that Justin got me for Christmas. And I like bawled my eyes out. Oh, I was like, great. it's Kate and Emma Mateo Druid. It's always the <laughs> goal. When,
0: when you can make them cry with yes
2: that's great. that's a win. That's great. Good job. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Before we dig into all the things that you know you do and you create, tell us about yourself as an X-Men fan. Do you have any favorite characters or favorite stories?
2: You know, uh, I was reading uh x men off the rack for a long time uh longer I think than most of the audience uh, but uh, I've been a huge fan of like if I could only take one comic book with me, one subscription uh into life, it was going to be uh x men so you know uh the days of um reading i think my first comic book was probably um around 199 off rack and those you know classic like jrjr with with claremont and um you know uh, when i went off to college years later i stopped reading so there was actually this hole in my uh knowledge for a little while about the 90s stuff uh and you know uh as for favorite characters you know the the one that i've never really gotten to sink my teeth in too much uh was nightcrawler actually just because he was not really available when uh, we were putting together our pirate book um and i know in a way i was kind of grateful because it 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 does um seem like he should have been on it but maybe that would have been Fan service. I don't know. Right, right. Well,
0: and I love the nod to it too. I think it was in one of the the early issues where he's writing a note to Kate about like, oh, swords and pirates. How am I not on this book?
2: It, <laughs> it is funny. Yeah, right. that, that that's the uh, you know, maybe maybe another maybe in another pirate lifetime.
0: Yeah, <laughs> he's he's my personal favorite X Man Nightcrawler. He's always yeah.
2: Cool. I I think if I could only take one, he'd probably be it. Cool.
0: Well, tell us about your career as a writer. What brought you into comics? And was that always the dream to work on comics?
2: Uh, you you know what? I was saying yes to writing anything when I first started uh, my career in Los Angeles 20 years ago. And uh, comic books were the thing that I was doing that was not paying. And that's really, I didn't um, know it at the time, but that actually is the surest way into comics is to not wait for an invitation so I was doing creator-owned work at at image because I loved comics Mm -hmm. and um later when Marvel called I I was ready and I had a, a comedy background I was um working um as a live television writer and writing jokes and award shows and host monologue and that sort of thing um but when comics became a possibility i was ready because i'd been reading them my whole life and um i had that comedy muscle that maybe not every comic book writer f- feels comfortable flexing at least out of the gate yeah. um and so that was that was sort of the secret origin and you know the whole time um just trying to have a good time and and you know again be privileged that i was uh, in the right place at the right time to to be able to take a swing at it
0: you can definitely hear the comedy and and laugh out loud at various times and and just you can tell that you're enjoying what you're doing too which i feel like is the mark of, of a great work you know someone that's really digging in and having fun doing what they're doing it makes it better for everyone
2: well thanks yeah i mean we did try to use that as a as a magnetic north on our compass if I'm having fun the artist has a chance to have fun if the artist is having fun you're almost assuredly going to have fun Mm -hmm. and uh, you know the the other thing you know we talked a little bit about Mateo already you know I already knew exactly what Mateo's like talents were you know not everyone can make you laugh on the page it's really hard Mm -hmm. it's really hard yeah and um you know i there's a comic book called hawkeye versus deadpool and i think it only exists because matt and david were running late on the main hawkeye book and i'm grateful that they did because uh sana was uh editing hawkeye at that point i think and then became that the editor of that mini and she had suggested uh, mateo and there's this moment in the comic when kate bishop sees deadpool's face with his mask off and she assumes that he's just dressed like freddy krueger because it's halloween <laughs> and you know Matteo just crushed these faces and i gave him this silent moment of her sort of covering and then her turning around and almost silently screaming to clint and you know that that was, like watching you know a baseball player hit this tremendous home run and going oh i know exactly how i can write for mateo and throughout our collaborations i think i've um, been able to set him up because that's really my job is to not be a very good pitcher it's to be a terrible pitcher Mm -hmm. i want my artist to see everything coming and then connect with the ball and hit this home run so you know we did a bus gag of kids you know, having to watch Sabretooth and Deadpool's like practically, you know, open each other's throats. And he's got a, a gear that not everyone has, Mateo. So, you know, when, when he became available to launch Marauders, I knew that we were going to hit, I knew it would be my fault if we didn't too. <laughs> she's like, I had, I had Russell on covers and I had, uh, Mateo interiors and, Uh, Jonathan you know I had Jonathan's ear and Jonathan's support with Jordan and CB it was supposed to hit so I'm I'm glad you loved it
1: oh my god my favorite I'll never get enough okay so outside of x-men you're also a photographer and you did recently launch a kickstarter for a book with photos and stories from your life so what can you tell us about that project and are there any like standout moments in the photos that you want to kind of give a nod
2: to here sure um yes yeah, f- thanks i've been lucky enough to um have a lot of interesting collaborators over the years and i've forest gumped my way into various <laughs> rooms not just in comic books but um you know over the 20 years in hollywood of either someone needing you know uh like um Uh, host punch up or host scripting or award show writing, or it's hard to get live TV show writing. I have a thousand hours of live TV experience. And that was where my trajectory, I really thought that my career was going to head into late night. And I carried a camera around. I loved comic books, but I also was always tinkering with photography and in my middle school growing up, I was privileged enough to have a dark room, And not everyone has that. And I really do yeah. wish that kids today had that sort of thing. My my son's middle school now has a wood shop. And I'm very grateful because, you know, actually making things is such a wonderful education.
1: Yeah. And
2: so to be able to shoot photos and hope for the best, because this was on film, really mm-hmm. I had no idea until you get into the dark room and see and seeing what i did well and what i did poorly or what surprised me or how i could fix an image and make like an okay image good or a good image great or a great image just indelible and um you know again uh, the, the other part of this that we haven't talked about is I'd always wanted to draw comics, but I, I just did not have the, the artistic talent. Um, but the interesting thing is that the camera now has become sort of my prosthesis. So I like to um, shoot photos and uh, I, I've been doing it now 20 years um, and the last 10 or so with a really, I think an interesting camera. So there, I, I, most, the, the bulk of the book is shot with um like a and it's a flat lens 28 millimeter wide um it's perfect for street shooting and perfect for le- it's very good in low light and the so the fun thing over the years is you know for x-men fans you know we are invited to editorial retreats or we go to comic book conventions and the writer brain never turns off um you know even though five o'clock may come And that's the end of the work day. You know, you're off to a dinner with your collaborators, with your editors, with your artists, uh, or you're off to the pub after that. And you're just talking. And the whole time your brain is marinating and trying to see the, the questions that have come up during the day. And I had a camera around when, you know, some of the answers presented themselves. So for instance after we ratified planet size x-men uh in the room i had my camera when al ewing and jonathan hickman were saying what if and what if this and what if that and those what ifs were very much that photo is very much the when uh x-men uh red came into focus and and sword so you know again just talking about the timing and luck you know, we're very much my collaborators, I think, in any photography. And so much of it explains sort of how I got to where I was um, and am and, and privileged to be. And, you know, again, I may not be your favorite comics creator, your favorite comics writer. I, I almost certainly have photographed them. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the, the I try to be a fly on the wall. Um, and I've done that, too, in Hollywood. So the book has three buckets. Um, the first one is is you know behind the curtains in hollywood the second is behind the scenes in comics and then maybe uh the the it almost i think the work gets stronger as it goes along the the third and last act is uh street photography around the world i i get to uh, I'm very lucky to get invited to go to Comic-Cons and rather than sit in a hotel and you know wait for the the day to begin or the day to end or what what have you I'll I'll, I'll take my camera I'll walk around the city and see what I can find. I really, you know, I did appreciate that. I love to travel. What happened during the pandemic obviously was there were no more comic cons. There weren't no more reasons to travel. There was none of that. So uh, what I did was I just started to look backwards and I had not done that ever. Um, So I was looking at like almost 20 years of photos that like, I just was not revisiting and I was grateful. I did for a couple of reasons. One, I, I certainly didn't want to leave it to my son who it may not mean anything to him without me actually presenting why I think some of these should be seen. I did find a bunch that I thought were worth sharing. And then the, the, the interesting thing just from a technical standpoint was I thought I had correctly and properly backed up a lot of my photographs. Actually, what I'd found is that because I was working on a laptop all around the world, some of these photos were in danger of being lost mm-hmm. and so i was able to to use the pandemic well even though i had put the camera down i it forced me to take stock of what i had
1: that's
0: yeah. awesome really reinvest in all of the things that you've been collecting and that the digital organization is key yeah
2: yep yeah, yeah, it's absolutely true you know uh, and and even i don't necessarily even trust the cloud i would love to have a a local Drive, but i i'd found that not everything had been properly backed up but everything really is in the cloud and that's that is where you know if i lose that i lose it all but so does everyone i guess but that's also look it's not the the craziest idea in the world you know i wrote a comic called analog about everything hemorrhaging out of out of um you know, the 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 vaults that they're in and, and what happens to the world and what happens to secrets. So you know it's it's science fiction, but it's only science fiction until it happens and it becomes right. <laughs> science fact. So I am very grateful for the chance to to be able to, to print a really nice book. And you know I, I don't know if you're familiar with the publisher Tashin, but I'm I'm basically Um, making my love letter or homage to Tashin books. So it's a cloth bound book in a slipcase with a foil stamp cover. I think it's going to turn out great. It's about three quarters of the way funded now. And um, I'm going to have a QR code at my table at Comic-Con with some photos. I assume that's where I'll finish it up. But if this, it all sounds interesting to you, please check out um, my pinned tweet. Uh, we'll take you right to the kickstarter page maybe you guys can link to the to it too when you yeah, put yeah, up we'll the,
1: share the
2: podcast but but yeah you know again if you want to see just a, a privileged bumpkin meet some really interesting folks and get the photograph of uh, them this book is for you if you like street photography it, it could also be for you and um i hope you dig it if you get a chance to look
1: yeah i mean y'all should check it out Definitely check out the Kickstarter. There's some cool preview images there. And I just love the the candidness of yeah. so many of the photos. Like It really makes you feel like you're in the room with those people. Yeah. And it feels like a really special moment, just observing each moment that you see in the photo. So I think people mm-hmm. will really enjoy it. And we'll definitely link it. We'll put it in our Instagram story. We'll put it on Twitter, all that good stuff. Thanks. Yeah.
0: I appreciate it. So you've been involved in the Krakoan era, you've been taking these photos, you've been building these stories since very early on, since even before we knew about what was happening. How have you seen the writer's room develop and change? How has that kind of progressed as you've been a part of it?
2: Um, Well, you know, it was always um, Jonathan's X-Men story Mm -hmm. that, you know, are you talking about X-Men specifically or the room in general, like the... Yeah, below. I think
0: uh, the room in general and just kind of like the Krakoan tapestry and how that grew and developed.
2: Well, you know, uh, to me, the big surprise of hearing the Jonathan's X-Men story for the first time was, you know, you can uh, hear an idea in the room and fall in love with it, but it's also an idea, you know, that's going to need a lot of oxygen. Mm-hmm. You know, if I hear a great Avengers story, and it's the Avengers and they go to space and they do something, whatever they're doing, it may not support an idea where I sit up and go, well, I have an Avengers story to tell alongside that. And, (laughs) you know, again, not that they have to, you know, it, it, it just was a real gift of Jonathan and RB and Pepe that they had this wonderful, wonderful story that, was a love letter to the comics that uh, we fell in love with but was also something that was aggressively progressive and new and oxygenated the room to go there was a point somewhere late in the production where jonathan posted in our in our secret message board hey i need to make the map if there's anything on the island what would you like to see there and, you know, there were a few things that uh, we were toying with that, that, you know, just as one example of what a great collaborator they were, um, all of them, because they accommodated so much. And then we launched a really successful line of X-Men books. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, I've never been in a band. I don't have a musical bone in my body. But it did feel like that was the band that I was in.
1: That's cool. That's an awesome analogy.
2: <laughs> yeah. Because you're
0: all just jamming. You're all just playing off of each other, building off of each other. And and to feel like, you know, he, he brought this this groundwork, but then to build from that.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's um, you know, again, it was no idea was too small or too weird or too crazy or too big. And you know i th- i think by any measure certainly we have math to show we were incredibly financially successful but mm-hmm. i feel very creatively fulfilled to be able to work with such a interesting group of writers you know the the other thing that i i i try to make all my collaborators look good because i know they make me look good i remember when we first had the inks from pepe for x-men number one and Mm -hmm. you know we talked a lot about what we wanted hey this needs to be a superhero book we should really put it in new york that's the center of the marvel universe and you know if they're going to have this treehouse, if they're going to have this green way of living with nature and this fast traveling to wherever the action is because it's an action book you know, what else do we need there? Do we want there? And so the origin of the treehouse was really just about, you know, a forge, making a bonsai tree that had this forge tech and that it would grow into this amazing but cool looking and non-threatening <laughs> headquarters. But it was Victor, you know, uh, writing Sabretooth, who posted in the Slack, I said, here's the neighborhood you know that we we were on the east side of the park and now we're going to go to the west side so we're further away from s- some of the other landmarks and you know just as a uh, two example two quick examples of how the how collaborative it was jonathan had a wonderful suggestion to not make the treehouse so big that when somebody forgot to draw it in the skyline that it wouldn't be a mistake <laughs> and that and that was true because that was a very technical note that yeah great you can't see it because it's it's actually uh-huh. in you know a canyon of 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 buildings yeah. and it's still a giant structure but New York is huge and that was great and that was an instant buy and of course we were going to do that Mm-hmm. And Victor had the better suggestion. Uh, Victor Lavallee said, Hey, by the way, just so you know, that's uh, this old neighborhood called Seneca Village. Yeah. And it had this great history of, you know, it was um, a largely um, black neighborhood that unfortunately New York displaced to put the park. But when we're talking about X-Men and what nobody knew at the time was that we were building this story that was also a love letter to the truth. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: that was going to be Cyclops's story that, that, that first year um, was about, would he pay the price for telling the truth and what would that be? And how important is the truth versus trying to live with, with lies. And if you're going to literally not figuratively literally plant roots somewhere like the x-men did they would honor that so that became seneca garden or seneca park as a way of just nodding to the history of where they were hanging their hat and it, you know again made me look good pepe always makes me look good (laughs) and then those guys made me look good so um you know it always pays to try and be the best collaborator possible and give away ideas i mean I'd, I'd like to think I've given away, uh, you know, stories and books because I couldn't exploit them and I wasn't the right person to exploit them. And that was very much what I consider my job to be at the at the head of the X Men table. You know, the X Men flagship book needs to be a big uh, aircraft carrier that launches big ideas and that uh, that that you know other other books can um, make hay of as well um so we we don't have a competitive spirit in in the sense that um maybe other other comic creators do because we've been you know very siloed and and frankly very protected from marvel from everyone in senior leadership you know including cb on down letting us um you know get away with um what we're getting away with you know it, it's it 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 feels very special. I know not everything will will be quite like this for forever, but um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, we love it. So, I, I think that the Krakowin era is something that has really, I mean, it's it's what brought me into the comics, but the way that you can sense this general
2: connectivity
1: yeah like how everything feels even if someone's telling an individual story it still lives so nicely in the world that you've all created and it's always so nice to talk to the creators and to hear that kind of family like collaboration that happens between all of you because as fans and as readers like that's something that we could really appreciate because it we know that you all are taking care of the universe as a whole and really being mindful about what you're doing and what you're saying and what you're creating. So it comes across that you guys all really care about what, what everyone is doing and that you all work so well together. It's probably one of my favorite things about getting to interview different creators is just hearing about that aspect of it from everybody's perspectives.
2: Yeah. You know, we're lucky to um, be able to have the rope that we do from, you know, the, the fans and the retailers. So, um, you know, I, I commenced with a beginning, middle and end, and we're executing on that. And then it will be someone else's turn to write X-Men someday right now. I'm very much enjoying being the, the writer of (laughs) X-Men.
0: That's great.
1: That's awesome. So I would like to talk about my girls a little, um, Kate and Emma. So, you know, the the maturity of Kate and her growth as a character, the fabulousness of Emma Frost. Um, I actually wrote a theme song for Emma based on her, you know, role in Marauder, Marauders. It goes, oh, Emma, cool. Emma, get it, get it, Emma, Emma Frost. <laughs> and I, you know, I just, I've, I love what you've done with them as characters. And I was wondering what your goals were with their story arcs and what do they mean to you as characters?
2: Well, they arrived at the party together, right? They share a first issue. And, um, you know, I think that's, um, they obviously have a history, you know, Emma really pushed to make Kitty her student and was rebuffed. And um, I think everyone, all these mutants are someone's favorite. And when I wrote them, they were my favorites. Um, You know, I was very privileged to have the time I had with them and then I loved what Steve and Kieran and everyone else is doing Mm -hmm. with them and, uh, you know, comic books and stories are change and story we I think found interesting ways to change their story. And um, I think uh, I'm excited for what the future has for those two characters, too.
1: Oh, yeah. Same
2: well we'll see you know i i know deadpool fans are always um <laughs> deadpool fans know me things get rough
1: <laughs> Get
2: rough in the second act turn
1: Uh oh i'm scared
2: <laughs> i'm sure they'll be fine
1: though yeah I'll just fingers crossed just cook up some eggs and hopefully we'll
2: make it through <laughs> that's right
0: so as one of the early folks in the room, you must have had some first picks on building that Marauder's team. Was there anyone that you wanted on the team that wasn't able to be there or anyone that surprised you with how much you enjoyed writing them at the end?
2: Uh, that's a great question. We ha- we literally did a kind of a fantasy draft one day.
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> I love awesome. That. So cool. um,
2: you know, that was one of the days that we spent early, early, early. We did a Marvel editorial retreat a larger retreat and then the folks that were going to be writing x-men stuck around after that weekend and i was coming in again the advantage of being a marvel exclusive writer was hearing jonathan's story so i was coming in with marauders whereas some folks were going to have some stuff that you know they were pitching but Mm -hmm. marauders while not greenlit was had more time to to gestate yeah. uh, so i was uh, very lucky uh, again in in timing and and in orbit i do remember i think it was vita they pointed out that we had not talked about storm yet and that was the surprising um, piece was that storm didn't make it onto a team right out of the gate even though she's one of the best characters okay. and the only reason that she wasn't was that there were really only um there's only one mutant that uh, jonathan didn't have um carte blanche to at the time and that was storm so we had she was a little bit out of sight out of mind hmm. um ta-nehisi Coates was writing Um, writing storm uh, in in Black Panther. And so we didn't quite have optics on how Mm -hmm. our stories were going to line up because he was in his own orbit and we didn't even have a launch date. Mm -hmm. So we knew that if we could work out and I don't know if this is interesting for people, but this is essentially, you know, what happens when, you know, you need to line up some tricky orbits of characters we talked to the editors who were doing that book and we just said look you know my inclination might be to reach for Storm and give her a mohawk and go she's on a pirate boat we couldn't do that we couldn't we couldn't do that and so you know again and I think some fans sort of felt like hey why is Storm sort of taking a back seat she would never uh, take orders from kitty and i don't think that's what the book was kitty kate when she walked when she you know walked into the gate and broke her nose she was automatically not um, going to be like everyone else and um her friends rallied around her and storm ended up being one of them now once tanahisi wrote the words at the end that's when we, as a as a room, sort of took off from the free throw line, and dunked with Storm. I thought, with you know, being able to go, okay. Now we're not going to interrupt Coates' story, so it's time for Storm to have a moment where she is less of a supporting character and and more um, front and center. Yeah, well, you- but that's under the hood stuff, you know, and literally a draft. We had names on cards, and you know the you know the team name up at the top and then a row of them down and just seeing what they what they kind of looked like
1: that's so cool and i think that all of this is super interesting i mean yeah. that's the that's the stuff everybody wants to know everybody wants to know like what are the secrets to this happen? ingredient Why? like what are your secret ingredients how do you make this happen yeah
0: and and just
2: well put- it's funny i you just reminded me like i think i like went to the i either left the room to use the bathroom or uh, make a phone call or went to lunch or was otherwise indisposed. And I came back and someone had added a Polaris to Marauders. I want to say it was Teeny, or Leah and, uh, and uh, were saying, you'd write a great Polaris. And I was like, I don't know. I was like, <laughs> I, if, if she's on a boat, do they even need to be in a boat? Could it just be flying around? And maybe that's true. Maybe it Maybe she should be on the team, but that's the great thing about a group is that nobody has to have exactly the right thing at the exact right moment. Someone else is going to have it if you don't. Yeah, And uh, so it's fun. It's also writing is such a solitary um, uh, endeavor. You know, I, I apologize to you before I, I've never listened to your podcast. It's but I've never listened to any podcast because if I'm listening to people talk, I can't hear what the characters are supposed to be saying or the what, what right. I'm supposed to be typing. And so, you know, again, that's why those times together were so joyous because we were not alone staring into a computer screen. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, just to have people to bounce ideas off of and to build with it.
2: Yeah.
1: So cool. So were there any threads or beats from Marauders that you wish you could have explored further before you moved on to X-Men.
0: Like no spoilers if, if it's off limits, but I mean our burning question that we think is probably still on the table is Kate and her gates. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: Kate and her gates is a um, future you know, has not been revealed on the page. You know, I did make a very overt point at the in my last scene in Marauders to say that this is not, like, nothing that she's forgotten about, if anyone else has. And actually, too, at the top of that issue, right, there's the Forge scene. Mm -hmm. She's really rounding the bases, and I think what Forge says to her is very true, you know, her, she spent her whole life disrupting technologies and now she's found one that disrupts her and what does that mean for her and that's really what it's about i should tell you if it's of interest um you know we know exactly why she can't oh, yes we've okay. known since right. before since before marauders one printed. That's, like that was something that Jonathan and Jordan and I talked about, and you know, it it has a very it it has a moment in time.
1: Amazing. That, that's all I need to know. That's enough. it. Yeah. As long as I know it's coming, and you know what it is, then I will just trust and wait. I
2: yeah, I, it's it's funny, you know, um, I, everything has its correct orbit all these characters have correct orbits and story points have correct orbits and we reminded everyone about what we needed to remind everyone about at the end of marauders i mean the other the other you know the the, the under the hood reason is you know it's fun a little bit of mystery is fun and i think you know what she'll learn about herself when she realizes it is will be very fun too
1: that's cool Cool. that's cool thank you for that
0: (laughs) let's talk a little bit about cable kid cable babel as a character (laughs) now i i gotta admit i i wasn't a, a kid cable fan before the series that you and phil noto worked on but you all brought that to life for me. You you gave me a reason to root for this character, exploring a new side of the grizzled war vet as a teenager dealing with these unique problems. Where did that interest for the series come from?
2: Well, it's funny, um, you know, we talked about there are so many of our books that are team books because we have so many Hmm. characters to um, service. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's really the way that we are able to do it. Cable was actually a stealth team book because we got to write some Cuckoos and we got to write some Summers and we got to bounce him off Deadpool and we even rolled in Strife. Spoiler. Um, (laughs) I was very much against um, Kid Cable killing Cable in the room and I was wrong. I remember Ed pitched it and I was like Uh, because Ed and Pepe did it together. um, It it was called the Extinction Agenda. Mm -hmm. So anyway, long story short, I was like, I don't know, guys, he's about to be a movie star. Is that really like, and then he ended up being such a gift because um, inexperienced heroes, right. Make mistakes. And, you know, old cable has all the answers. And so that's why I, I understand you know like going into it there were a lot of folks that were questioning why we were doing it the real answer is i inherited a young cable Mm -hmm. the other answer is i did it because i wanted to and because it was fun and because really you know it's my favorite cable so um you know again inexperienced kid cable all of it counted all of it mattered um You know, that some of the discussion around it was kind of silly. He's a time traveler. At the end of the day, all these stories work or none of them do. Right, right. Mm -hmm.
1: So the Hellfire Gala seems like it's a big party, not only for the characters, but for the creative teams. What was the energy like for the first year of the gala and how did it develop and change for year two?
2: well we always knew that um we needed a hellfire gala otherwise everyone was going to be asking us what planet size x-men was
0: Mm. so
2: we allowed our very fashion forward artists to take the lead with very basic prompts you know i wrote what if storm is wearing a weather system and then, you know, Russell took that and obviously made it just one part of his gift to her. Right. Okay. Um, you know, Lucas killed it. Mateo killed it. All these um, artists, you know, doing forever. You know, we saw it immediately. We saw it before we had it printed it before we hit print on it. We were seeing cosplay. So that's when you know it hit
1: yes guilty guilty (laughs) right right so
2: (laughs) yeah you you go okay we we you know it you already know then that you've succeeded Mm -hmm. and if the story is worth a damn well then then you've got a forever comic Mm -hmm. um and so it became useful for us because we also knew that you know we were going to be uh electing x-men and what better way than to do that at a party and and also it's a soft power flex from from emma Mm -hmm. you know it's it makes sense like it it made a lot of story sense it made a lot of under the hood sense it made a lot of business sense you know you're starting to see these these designs in other places and i'm sure you'll only see that more and more and more so you know again uh, it's an easy one to latch on to I thought I was very clever and cooked up the idea of a hellfire gala and then was rereading some stuff and was like oh my god they they also did a hellfire gala uh, back in the day so I was like let's run this back up you know we're at the at a early hellfire gala oh, yeah. and that that's how that ended up in there so
0: well especially then to to tie in lords and all of the
2: yeah that's right that's really
0: great so let's uh talking about the hellfire gala let's talk about the vote all those potential storylines for these different characters who's the one that got away who's the the character like oh man it would have been great to have them there or uh maybe, maybe i still would have
2: honestly love to have written any of them truly and even though i would not have picked either of the winners from the <laughs> two so far Um, they were not my, the, they were not my votes, but, um, (laughs) but real, real gifts, both times. Mm
1: -hmm. I was saying recently in talking about the new team and the like way that all the characters are coming together, the way that you've written that I, you've taken away my angst towards the outcome (laughs) of the, Uh,
0: I'm like, okay, I'm
1: seeing it come together now. All right. Yeah. We,
0: we were we were strong M supporters, yeah. but we're here for Firestar. We're happy to it. have her.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, very good. Well, that makes me happy.
1: <laughs> so we saw you at the gala, which must confirm that you are a mutant. So, couple questions: um, What are your mutant powers, and also, who will be designing your gala look for next year?
2: I am. My mutant power is not to be noticed. Uh, <laughs> even if you look at me a little bit like forget me not, but people remember me. And Russell is in charge of my uh, fashion next year. Yes,
0: I think I think that's everybody's safe choice of just right. like, hey, I need a Russell Dodderman.
2: <laughs> Russell that's has right. done get, both
1: of the looks get, that I've Get me daughter,
2: and uh, yeah. yeah, oh, very cool.
1: Yeah, I love it.
0: So let's talk about the X-Men in New York. We were talking about it a little bit before, this this big place where basically the center of the Marvel Universe, and it it feels like this kind of gateway connection point between the broader superhero community and the Krakoan community building. Was that always a goal with this new team to really step them into the larger Marvel world?
2: Yeah, we we knew that, um, you know, it was time for the X-Men to be superheroes again. We'd set the table. Krakoa uh, was in orbit. Um, Arako was in orbit. And, you know, we knew that the Quiet Council shenanigans were going to be sorted by Kieran. And um, we had our CIA in the form of X-Force and it was time for the the best of the bunch to get down and, and roll up their sleeves and be superheroes again. And, and uh, yeah, so, you know, New York was the obvious choice because Marvel's Manhattan really is a character in all of these books. And that was an easy decision. And then obviously Pepe just crushed the trios. So,
0: yes i was obsessed with that since issue one you can hear us talking about it it's like man i want to live in that i was studying that cross section it's been so long
2: i love that too i knew we had to do that like right
0: those are the the classic they even had those books was like oh the cross section of the blackbird or the the mansion like no
2: now you
1: just need um hasbro to come out with like marvel legends but like a treehouse like a tree house, like barely pocket size but like no to scale <laughs> to scale giant
2: i've already uh i've already put in a request for a, like a one of the you know big big size lego boxes yes. Ooh, yeah that's what i would like
1: oh that'd be so dope <laughs> you that'd know we fun. would have
2: that oh yeah
1: <laughs> so sink in particular has grown a lot as a character he's like the ultimate student constantly feeding off the experiences of everyone around him what excites you about the potential of him as a character
2: well i think he has the upper potential to be our most important Mm mutant um you know if if um and not just because of the power set Mm -hmm. it's one reason the other reason obviously is the gift that that Jonathan uh uh and and um esrar gave him by by uh sending him to the vault and coming away with that much experience. You know, he's got more experience than Cyclops and and Gene right. combined. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah um you know what a what an amazing um what an amazing like gift and curse to throw on a character.
0: Yeah, right. And to to have him work through that and, and struggle that the, the line of like, I've, I've been a Wolverine longer than anybody else. It just sticks out. It's like, wow, I know he really has. He's been doing this for what, like 500 years or something now.
2: That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. And, you know, again, hopefully he feels... Older and burdened Mm. I got to be careful though because we are going back to the vault with Josh Kassara so I don't want to say too much more
0: oh we saw that we're extra excited for that coming up soon and uh we've we've gotten to to meet and talk with Josh and really excited to see him on the big x-men book
2: yeah he's so cool you know we text a bunch back and forth and uh I'm couldn't be more excited for what we have coming up that's awesome uh
0: Less of a question, more of an observation of just how many amazing, almost casual circuits there are in the X-Men team. I was going through year one over the last couple of days and just them forming the mech, the gene and Polaris yeah. reading yeah. a dead mind. like so many like almost blink and you'll miss it of just like, wow, this is a new interesting way of mutant technology happening on the fly what's the brainstorming process like to create those? And, and do you have a favorite combo? Is there one that like, oh man, that would be, that would be the one that I would choose on a video game or.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, Gene is such a fascinating ones. Um, You know, uh, when I talked to Pepe about where we were going to go and what we were going to do and I spoiled everything for him. And I said, Sync's a very important character because, <laughs> you know, he's going to be the um, you know, one one of our two beating hearts in that first year, you know, Cyclops's story and what he would do for the truth, and then also what Sync would do to protect his family. And that that was to cover up. And right rightfully so, I think, you know, that's one of my favorite exchanges, is. Both Jean teaching him ab- about what it's like to be her, and then later when Sync I th- is apologizing to Scott when they're in the Essex County, and and then saying, "Look, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry. I thought I did the right thing." And Scott was like, "You did. You you. I was down, and you did exactly what you're supposed to do. Uh, protect." The, the family you know you just did it in a way that I wouldn't have mm. and then obviously you know Ben Yurick and the way that they both sort of came clean to him um and and threw Emma under the bus which is fun the timing again is everything
0: yeah yeah Ben the Ben Yurick story was like oh man every time those last couple pages in those issues it's like ah oh, Ben Yurick I want to know what's going on
2: <laughs> yeah 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 it's great great yeah anytime ben shows up you know it's uh it's going to be an important uh marvel story yeah yeah
1: let's talk about villains for a second uh you have put a lot of emphasis on developing these big bads phalong, dr stasis um even expanding into the broader Mar- marvel universe with cordyceps jones the high evolutionary nightmare modok what for you makes a good ex-villain and if you could choose any villain x-men marvel or otherwise to go up against the x-men who would you choose
2: well i gotta be careful because i i got my wish so i'm gonna <gasps> hold back the last one oh, yeah. but okay, the, amazing but you know the 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 real truth is i have to write them as the heroes mm. you know and and that's what i'm doing you know they like dr stasis believes in his heart that mutants are cancer and they need to be cut out of this ecosystem and he's gonna do it or die trying um so you know again i i uh, i'm loving the opportunity to bring new villains into the fold. And that's another thing we talked about, you know, we, we, with all of mutantdom and lockstep in the Krakoa era, or at least not pushing against Krakoa at the moment, with the exception of maybe Sinister, <laughs> you know, the idea that, um, that we needed new villains was something we were talking about or, or being able to find, new ways for older villains to push against Krakoa so yeah it's we did a lot of villain work and that's something that's you can do that's great for your story so yeah
0: it's definitely paying off especially Falong I feel like he has such a unique character motivation of, of having had this lifelong goal and dream taken from him in a night and then mm-hmm. seeing how he adapts to that and then you know of course, he joins up with the the big bad human terrorists, uh, just you know, anti-mutants. He,
2: he's the he's the one that's aggrieved, you know, right. again, to talk about like, you know, he was the one that was putting in the work. You know, he's the one that sacrificed. And so that that is why we love him. And that's why, you know, an, a character that's that important got a lot of screen time mm-hmm. know, under Pepe Larraz's uh, pen. So. Um, you know, he Pepe's the one that that's drawing those those villains. You know, we're it's. I love Fei Long too, and he's got some he's got some fun, really really fun things coming up in the next year. So it's very cool.
0: What's well, something that you either learned or it surprised you about working through year one that you're bringing with you into year two?
2: I think it's uh, how how malleable. Uh, plans can be when you need to to shift and and how accommodating everyone is to be able to say hey I'm going to do some gymnastics to make that print deadline but please this is what I need and you know when you tell them when you tell Marvel or you tell your collaborators this is what you need I have gotten it you know I have been super lucky to, to have the job and be asked to 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 do it and to be successful at it is you know beyond really all everything that i could hope for so i'm glad you're all having fun i do uh, i apologize i have time for one or two quick more questions before i have to pick up my son Oh yeah, Um, and then it's back to writing tonight so now you have to kill some babies (laughs) (laughs) um
1: so Did you always know when you first started working with Iceman that he was going to like come into his Omega status and that he would join the X-Men? Did you always know that path for him as you were writing him?
2: Um, Yes, we um, he was one that I didn't have a a great grasp on early on. Um, And actually, when we ratified him, when when we when when Jonathan and Jordan and Marvel ratified him as an omega and I started thinking about him with my science fiction brain and realized oh okay he can really like do some super like super freaky things start to happen in super low temperatures and once I knew that uh there was a very early version of Planet Size X-Men. He was always a part of it, obviously, but there was a version of it that had some non-Omega mutants. And then we realized, no, no, anything we need, we can do with Omegas. And if we don't, we have the Iraqi. Mm. And knowing that the Omegas were going to be on people's minds, it really started me thinking about, like, well, what could you do if you could really totally transform your body using you know moisture and ice and how dense you could make the ice and and at what scale you could operate. And that's sort of where I think in my mind, Ice Man grew up into the way that I see him now, which is you know, as a, uh, someone that can command a battlefield and you know, he beat up Fin Fang Foom, he beat up some frost giants. Um, there was a very dark moment. Um, in um, uh, when 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 Kate died, uh, and how scary that was. I wanted to show what it would be like when uh a, a, a such a powerful man lost his temper, and mm-hmm. you know the, and then what were the consequences of that? The consequences were well, those mercs, those mercs become reavers. And, you know, in that way, we make our we want our heroes to make our enemies. And Bobby was very successful for me in in that in that version. And Bobby has some incredible stuff lined up for the next year, too.
0: That's great to hear, because he's already had some incredible stuff so far early on into the book. We've had a number of our listeners tell us just how much the story of him having pride in himself and his identity in the most recent issue of x-men uh just what that meant to them a couple of people brought to tears because of Mm -hmm. just seeing that strength in him and his development was uh really moving really impactful
2: oh good i'm i'm glad i mean obviously you know we could be at this for a long time before every x-men fan gets to say you know this was the one for me but we are doing our best to do it and we've run into, you know, all sorts of life stuff and delays and COVID and whatever else, but, yeah. but we the, the hope is, you know, that everyone that makes the X-Men team in particular will have that one, at least one great issue where not only did they save the world, but they did it with some style and mm-hmm. it's something new. And what what's the gift? you know they're gifted what's the what's the gift that you're getting
0: mm. well as as we're wrapping up th- this whole exercise was a challenge of separating ourselves as fans mm-hmm. of your work and as uh, professional podcasters you know asking good questions we could have just gushed over how much we've enjoyed your work over the last couple of years yes. uh, but we tried to ask some hard hitting questions anything that you can leave us with for the teas uh teas of the future what's to come something to look forward to not trying to get you in trouble but uh <laughs> any last thoughts on what's what's uh, on the horizon
2: um you know what i'll just give you like the the um you know tune to comic con uh, at new york comic con i think you'll You'll have your interest peaked. You'll have some new art. And if you, um, you know, have been reading (laughs) us from the the start, you know, we're, it's very relaxed right now because we are, you know, plotted in a way that we're, you're going to see we never, we never didn't have it. You're like, there are a lot of, um questions of that people have about things are going to start to come into focus and be answered i think in ways that um hopefully won't be expecting that's great. so um thank you all for reading and um thank you for your time and thanks for letting me talk about the photo book
1: um, oh my gosh, go, go yeah.
2: check it out even if you um are not into photo books you may see some photos there that um Uh, just as a a fan of the books you might um, might pique your interests yeah Yeah, for sure and
1: we'll definitely make sure to share that info on our pages with everyone and Jerry thank you so very much yeah for spending some time with us it was really an honor to speak with you and to hear things and to pick your brain so of course until next time old friend Charles Thanks so much for joining us today on the ex Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends.
0: The ex Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan.